Praise the Lord. We can say amen to that, can't we? So grateful that he included us in his great, tremendous program. Amen. Let's read today, if you would, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. And this is where that worthy one has gone to prepare a place for us. He catches up John on the Isle of Patmos and uh, is able to convey a little bit about what this great economy of God is going to look like. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads I want to go that's my home amen how many like to be remembered as we pray today let's just hold our requests in our hearts heavenly Father, as we approach you today we are so grateful Lord Jesus that you have gone to prepare such a place for us. For most of us, Father, streets of gold, walls of jasper, things like that is very hard for us to relate to. But Lord, if it was no more than just a refurbished earth, and you made it new, and it was just trees and parks and water and just beautiful place like the earth is, as long as you was there, it would be heaven enough for us. But we know in your story of heaven, this greatness of what you have made it, it reflects what you're doing in our hearts now. So I pray that you would help us, that we can follow along in the progressive work of what you're doing in us so that when we walk down those streets of gold, we will actually be a people who will match that blessed place. It would be unfitting for us to live in in a place, oh God, if our lives were filthy and dirty and ungodly, it would be unfitting for us to live in such a paradise. On the other hand, looking at it, Lord, it would be unbecoming to you in your nature to place us just in the refurbished earth as it was and put a wood shack over here and a block house over there and it would be unbecoming. It would not match what you're building on the earth. So what you're building on the earth matches what you're building in heaven. What you're building in heaven matches what you're building on the earth. I pray that you would help our lives that we can match your program. Father, this prayer calls I have in my hand today. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you that you'd move, Lord. You see the needs. Father, we commit it to you. Granted, may you help us as we speak your word, as we hear your word. May we become your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord today? 
and they shall see his face. We all have talked to people on the phone or chatted with people in the form of social media or text or email. And many of them, you have never seen their face. Yet if it's an ongoing something with someone that you have to work with in a business or something like that, you're able to develop a little bit of knowledge about them and uh, their mannerisms and the way that they do things and all of that just by words. And uh, even though their face is unseen, but yet you know, well, they kind of say this and they do this and, you know, they do that and they do that. And words are a wonderful way to be able to convey a message, a way that we can actually know people. But it's not good enough when we're coming to paradise. When we arrive in God's great city, one of the outstanding things that the Lord wanted John to be able to emphasize to his people was that they shall see his face. And looking at it last night, we know that God is a spirit and God is actually invisible. And the Lord Jesus was the very heart of God, made manifest in a body of flesh to become the very face of God. God appeared in many forms in the Old Testament, but none of them were lasting. But the Lord Jesus was the first and only permanent dwelling that the Almighty would have. And once he raised his body from the dead, that body is what's today in heaven. It is that body that will be there in eternity. That is what we will see. That is the part, the human part, that we'll be able to relate to, as the prophet relates to us in future home, that God said, from this part of the earth, I will redeem the rest of it. So God wanted to become tangible. How can an invisible being become tangible? How can an invisible being die? How can an invisible being be whipped? Or an invisible being ever feel sorrow and pain? It cannot, of course. So he becomes visible. That tangibility is what he desires to be called the Son of God. And that's what it confuses many people on the Godhead. And they think the Father, the invisible, is one being. The Son, the visible, is another. When it's not another, it's exactly the same one. It's just the invisible becoming tangible or visible. So he takes on visibility, atoms, molecules, light, matter, time, all of that. And that is so the eternal can have a body that he could become what he wanted to be. Yet he does not annihilate his invisibility. That will be there, of course, in the great paradise of God. As a prophet related to us in future home, also question answers in 1964, that it will be the Lord Jesus sitting on the throne. This is what John saw, the throne of God and of the Lamb, not two thrones, but one throne. And here will be the corporal body or the physical body of the Lord Jesus. He'll have eyes, hair, fingers, toes, all of that, the same body that was raised from the dead. But hanging above him will be the Father. The Father is not an old man or is not a, a human at all in another throne, but it is that great eternal light. 
from there is where the bride in the city will get her light. It is the essence of his true character and nature that through eternity will be the supplier of all of our needs. Now this is one reason why the city will have no need of the light. There will be no other resource in the city itself other than the eternal to be the supplier of all of our needs. Now, this is one of the privileges of being children because you get to live with Father forever. It will never, never cease. But now, notice it was here something that stood out to John, and that was, they shall see his face, <clears throat> and his name shall be in their foreheads. But I want you to notice what he says, that he does not say his name will be on their foreheads. Now, this is the exact same term that John uses whenever he declares the declaration of the mark of the beast of the people in Revelation 13. And that was that they would have or bear the mark or the image of the beast, and he also says, in their foreheads. He does not say on. But he says, in their foreheads. Again, in Revelation 3, Jesus said, I will write upon them the name of the city of my God and the name of my God, and also I will write in their foreheads my new name. But again, he does not say on. And people for years, of course, have looked for the mark of the beast where it would be something physically. It would be a stamp. You know, remember years ago when they started putting the, the barcode on groceries and people was terrified because they just knew it was going to be the mark of the beast. Well, people was afraid computers and computer chips and all that was going to be the mark of the beast. And they've kept looking for something on the flesh. It's not on. The Bible does not say on. The Bible says in. So here it relates to us a mystery of the marking of the image that it has absolutely nothing to do with a literal mark. Now notice he says that his name shall be in their foreheads. So let's run this parallel here that God's mark will have a similarity to those in Revelation 13 that they also are identified with this mark. Now it does not mean that everybody that will go through the tribulation period one day will receive a stamp or they'll receive a computer chip. The devil knows the carnality of people so he sends out these things to mess with people's minds. So you know what? He runs out there. The majority of people are looking for some kind of something. Even church people's looking for all that and the devil just laughs at them because he knows the Bible doesn't even say that in the first place. So they are looking for something to be stamped and oh my they're scared to death. I went through Wendy's not long ago and I got me a drink and a burger. And whenever I did, the grand total was $6.66. When I come up to the window, the one there below Home Depot, when I come up to the window there and there was a black lady there to check me out and her eyes was about that big around, she said, you want a cookie? You want ice cream? You want something? That She said, there's no way I would buy that at 666. I said, sure, give me a cookie. Didn't take much to talk me into it anyway. 
But why is it about that number that people are, are terrified? You know what I'm saying? You can see it out as well as I do. And people ring it up on the cash register and their eyes get so big and their lips go to quivering. Well, you know, because, uh, because they're carnal and they're looking for an explanation of what the image is. And yet we know that in the tribulation period that the people will have in them the image of the beast. But it will not be a mark. It will not be a stamp, but it will be in their body, in their character, in their nature is the very imprint of the power that is dominating the tribulation period. So they will have in them the image of the beast. And by the way they live and the way they act and the way they do, they are bearing in their body, in their soul, in their spirit, the very image or the mark of the beast. And yet, there'll never be no stamp. There'll never be anything like that. Oh, sure, Satan will do all kinds of things as far as control. That'll be part of the move. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is that the mark will be in their forehead, their knowledge. Or it will be in their hand, which is their signifying, their hand to be fellowship. So they will join, co-join their knowledge and their works, which is in their hand. Now, if you're God, where did Satan get this at? Of course he got it from God. And God then will put upon his people now what you notice when John relates this, he does not say this about the nations that live outside. But this is purely an identification which comes to the inhabitants that are allowed to live inside the city itself. Now there's something about them that will be different. Now they're not only bride in that sense, but they are given this predominant place in the economy of God and they're giving this on the earth and where they live in heaven matches what they were given on the earth that they were the ecclesia or the elect of God so they will have the father's name in their forehead they will also have in them the name of the city of my God and Jesus said they will also have my new name so there is an imagery that the elect of God will have and endure through eternity that somehow they will look different than the people on the outside. Now they are going to have an imparted divine image given to them by the Almighty Himself which the nations and the saved of the earth will not have. What will it be? I don't know but I just know that it is said about them because as the worshipers of the beast take on that image of the beast, yet they will not look like the beast itself because it is a power. But they become transformed into that spiritual imagery. I hope you're spiritual enough to realize we are seeing that taking place today. You see people with all these tattoos all over their body and all these things and they look so disfigured. Don't you understand where that comes from? Straight, straight from the pits of hell. Right? And they're becoming into that image of the beast's power that is going to come upon the earth today. You look at the majority of the human beings upon the earth and they have this wild stare in their eyes and they don't know where they're coming. They don't know where they're going. And you know, just, it's just all over everybody. And we're the only ones in a right mind, those that are Christians and filled with the Holy Ghost. So they are already being transformed into the very image of the beast's power because the mechanics 
force of the beast's power is already working in the earth already. He's only got three and a half years once the bride goes up. So much of the mechanics of his body is already moving together. Why do you think all the scream of politics is going on? Why do you think all these voices are raising up? It's getting ready for the tribulation period. And once the bride goes up, Satan comes down and the mechanics of his body are already here. May I say on the other hand that the mechanics of the bride and the dynamics are merging together because whenever the culmination of the scripture goes to adding together this is why Jesus said behold I come quickly and the, you know the ludicrous and the, those that ridicule the, the word of God and they try to make fun of the word of God and say well Jesus said that 2,000 years ago behold I come quickly they don't even know the meaning of the words in the first place because Jesus wasn't saying I'm going to come quickly then but when you read the scripture how that John wrote it and how Jesus said it he was simply saying this when these things start to come to pass it will be very quick without delay I will be there now he wasn't saying 2,000 years ago I'm coming quickly well we waited 100 years 200 years 1,000 years 2,000 years well he said he was coming quickly and he ain't here that's not what he said he was saying that whenever these things go to coming to pass my coming will advance there will be no delay we have arrived friends now you realize many of the prophecies written in the book of Revelation did not happen in John's day. They did not have an Arrhenius day, Luther's day, Wesley, Pentecost, but they are starting to unfold in our day so it is without delay that our Lord will come. So the mastery of Satan is to be able to bring people into his image. This started of course as he, as he began to propagate his lie in heaven and he convinced uh, these angels to be able to be leave him and to revolt against God. They actually began to conform to the image of what Satan wanted and that was a rebellion against Adonai. Now these angels were created and placed on a basis of free moral agency where they could choose but there was another group of angels which were created different and that were what Paul calls and identifies them as elect angels. They were not placed on a basis to be able to choose. Uh, they were created elect and therefore they could never fall. So these angels that did fall, they begin to take on the image or the mark, if you will, that they belong to Satan. So the mark is a sign of ownership. It is a sign of co-allegiance that you give your allegiance to the master that you would join with. Now you understand that most of us, of course, when we were in the world, that we were catering to the world, acting like the world, talking like the world. But what was on us was only a temporary mark or the imagery of Satan's darkness that was in our lives and God delivered us and then we took on the seal of the Holy Ghost or the mark of God right but many people have that already inside of their soul and their souls in prison now they are already marked to their destination which is separation from God but in the in the tribulation period it will become such a reality that their souls and their bodies will become so personified with satanic anointing that they will take on this imagery you imagine when every child of God every saint of God that's filled with the Holy Ghost is lifted from from the earth and all that's left on the earth are the foolish virgins those without the Holy Ghost 144,000 of course and then the rest of the world that is lost can you imagine what a terrible place this is going to be I do not want to be here 
I want to be gone, don't you? But here, it's a parallel. If we can look at it, how that John said, those that will be in the paradise of God and allowed to live there, they will actually, he said, have the Father's name in their forehead. So they will have a special imagery of the Father that the rest of the people laying on the outside. Will it be a, a brighter or a display of glory? Will there be an appearance about them? Will they all have a family look about them? Will they all have a look about them that will be even physically, that will care over physically? Will you have no question knowing that each one of them is a brother of Jesus or a sister of Jesus? There will be something about them which will be different than the rest of the world. It was so notable to John that in the vision he said that they would have the Father's name. And of course name as we know comes from the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, Shem. And the word Shem means reputation or character. So as you mentioned last night, the name to them was a whole lot more than John or Jack or Fred or Betty or, or Louise or whatever more. It was something about who you are. So when we are there, we today bear the name of Christians. But there are many who bear that name that are not Christians a bit more than this pulpit is. But yet once we are there, once our soul is sealed, we are kept off now into eternity. We will bear in our bodies. And John says it does not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is so there will be a transfiguration that the elect of God enter into at the rapture that the foolish virgin and the unsaved and of course all the rest of the world do not experience that's only promise for those that are in the change itself whether alive or dead now as we move into this notice that John goes on to say in Revelation 22 and there shall be no more night there. Now it's not that John is running out of things to say, but John repeats this, of course, because he's already he's already said this in Revelation 21:25. But whenever the Lord would repeat something in Scripture, and he does this over and over again, the Lord Jesus, when he was here, he would use these words verily, verily. Now that is actually the English translation of the, the Greek word Aramaic, which was truly, truly. But Jesus repeated himself in order to vindicate this and put value on it. So whenever he would repeat it, it was truly, truly. Now he could have said truly, I say unto you the kingdom of heaven is likened unto thus and thus. But instead of doing that he said truly, truly. Now when he would say that with their manner of speaking, their dialogue, they would pay really close attention. So here we find in the scripture that there's several things that he would say. You parallel John to Jude and you parallel Peter to Jude and you see some of the things that they say is almost identical word for word and you look at Jeremiah you look at Ezekiel you look at Isaiah some of the things they said was exactly the same way when we find that that means it's of great importance to God so here John again is going to let us know he said there shall be no night there now this is expressing to us the certainty and the validity that God wants us to know 
No, there is no night there. Okay, well, praise God, there's no night. No, no, you, you don't understand. God wants us to understand there is no night there. Now, we're not just talking about the setting of the natural sun. He wants us to emphasize and focus on the reason there will be no night there. Now, notice John says, there shall be no night there, and they need no counter. Who are we talking about? We're still talking about the special marked people on the inside of the city. The special marked people with his name in their forehead, and they are now getting this further identification of who they are, that they will have no night, and they will need no candle, and they will need no exterior illumination, because he who is inside the city will be everything they will ever need for eternity. Now listen the way that John writes this. He said, there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. Now this proves to us then that the sun will still be there. Remember the sun and the moon? And much of the heavens, of course, are from that part of God's mind, which is the eternal attributes. Other things come from the, the mind of God, and they were in time or in season, and they serve their purpose, and they will cease to exist. But apparently the folks living on the outside, which will be millions of them no doubt they will actually live under the influence of the sun and the moon and maybe still the stars and whatever more will be out there but John specifies for those who will live inside the city they are different they bear in their forehead the image of their father and because they are children of light they were children of light here and once they get there they are children of light so they live under the the emphasis of this eternal himself. They will never, can you imagine living in a house where you never have a candle? You'll live in a house and your house is built there, but the Lord didn't put any wiring in it because there ain't no light switches because there ain't no lights. Your mansion, your house, whatever it is, it's already no doubt done. It's already completed. There's not one electrical outlet in your entire house. There is no emergency things like on the wall there to pull for a fire alarm. There's never any fires. There are no chandeliers. There's no incandescent light bulbs. There's no fluorescent light bulbs. There's no LED light bulbs. There is no light bulbs. And inside the city itself I'm talking about. Now why? Because the whole purpose of all of this in the city and the design is to reflect his love for eternity and the people which were so special to him. Now remember God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world, cosmos to condemn the world, but that the world might, the world might, the world might, the world might, I'm not stuck, I wanted to emphasize to you, that the world might be saved, but the bride does not belong to might. The bride will be saved. The word, the, oh my, the world maybe or maybe not. Now don't get all of upset at me, I've been out of shape. But the Lord Jesus come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. And if he come to save all the whole world, his work through eternity, he'll be an entire disappointment through eternity. But he come to seek and to save those elected whose name was on that book of life. And while he was here getting them, he went ahead and made a way for whosoever will, let them come. 
That's right. But his main purpose of coming on the earth was to get those whom the Father foreknew, hallelujah, and wrote their names on the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. You imagine entering into this paradise of God when it hits you. I look like God. I, I look like the Lamb. And when the people enter the city that live outside... And they come in and see you. I know this is hard to swallow. In your foreheads will be the image of your father. Now why would we struggle at that? We all bear the image of our earthly imagery. Why would we struggle with that? The older that some of us get, the more we look like our mothers and our fathers or a mixture. You know, you got your mama's nose and your daddy's eyes or your daddy's ears and your mama's mouth. And, and people look at you and know, you know, there's families and it runs right down through and you don't have a bitter problem. All you need to do is find one of them's last name and you know all the rest of them because you know their kid. They look so much alike. Can you imagine there being millions or how many ever there will be in the city of God and we bear in our image the identification of God and of the Lamb, the Shekinah, the glory of God and also the earthly image of the Lamb of God of us seeing Him as He is and us being like Him. Notice in John says there shall be no night there and they need no candle, neither light of the sun for the Lord God, the Lord God giveth them light. Now notice it doesn't say he gives everybody on the outside light. Friends, no wonder the prophets say that heaven is a continuation of this same life. We're not here today to condemn folks that don't see what we see. We're not here today to say that they're not lost. I think we've grown up enough in the message to know that God is dealing with the world out here as well as the bride. But his main focus is his bride. I don't just love my wife. I love all humanity myself. Black, white, red, yellow makes no difference what color they are to me I love them all but I'll tell you one thing I don't love them the way I do my wife well praise the Lord I love all you sisters in the Lord but I ain't never bought a one of you no wedding ring I ain't never bought a one of you no dress and I ain't got no plan on doing it neither but I'll tell you one thing my wife wants one and it's within reason if I can get it I'm going to get it for why she's my wife the Lord Jesus loves his bride and his wife like no man can ever love his But yet he loved the world. But the Bible does not say God so loved the bride that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that's not what the Bible says. God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, oh hallelujah. But when he come to this earth, he said, ye have not chosen me. But I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit. Because you are called to that special place in time you will bear the same imagery of that calling in eternity it's not because of us how good we are how much we pray how much we read our bible it's because God foreknew you before you ever even had a choice to know him (laughs) 
You imagine? In the city itself, it will be one eternal day. But right outside the gates will be day and night, day and night, day and night, sunlight, moonlight, starlight, depending on which day or night they are in. But in the city, it's always the same. Father light. The sun, the sun won't affect you. The moon won't affect you. Don't you understand your position in the Holy Ghost? Can't you see right now where you are in the Lord Jesus if you've got the Holy Ghost? You're sealed so far hidden, Christ, that the devil can't even find you. You're already in there. Let it rain spiritually. Let there come a drought spiritually. Those of you that are sealed with the Holy Ghost, you've got just as much joy when you're up as when you're down. You've got just as much joy if you've got a million dollars or ain't got a penny because your soul is already sealed in the pyramid city. Hallelujah. You're already caught up into father light. God is their source of light. So they don't need sunlight, moonlight, night lights, daylight. He is their light. But only, only to those that are in the city who look like him. You see, he who is light is their light. And they share with that Illumination. Notice it is the Lord God that giveth them light so they don't need any candle, no artificial light, nothing else that will ever transpire that will be natural or man-made. Now, the people on the outside, my, you say, boy, won't them people out there have a problem? They won't. They won't be a one of them ever come in. I'll tell you one thing, I don't like this. This ain't fair. I believe God's got a problem with us. You know, God making us. There won't be nobody there like that. There'll never be. Can you imagine living in a world where there are millions of people and nobody will ever gripe? Lord have mercy. Nobody will ever complain. There won't be a complaint box on the outside door of the gate. There won't be nobody ever complain. Nobody will ever growl. Nobody will ever have an argument. There'll never be a sharp exchange of words between anybody. Oh, it sounded like home to me, friend. There'll never be nobody sick. There'll never be nobody trouble. Nobody will ever shed a tear. There'll never be a death. There'll never be nobody with even as much as a headache. You'll never, oh my, can you imagine living in an eternal day and you'll never one time have a bad thought, an evil thought, a discouraging thought, a sad thought. Every day will be as happy as it was the day before and the day after and the day after because you have entered into an eternal day there is no night there there shall be no night there they need no candle neither light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever they who 
the family. All of them that had the Father's name and the foreheads. You'll know they're all family. There'll be something about them that will look different. <laughs> they are made kings now by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They come into their natural inheritance as far as on the earth in the millennium. They are then moved from the millennium up into heaven to hold them for a while until the earth has been revitalized and changed. They will then come back down on the earth and the new kingdom will be set up. Now remember heaven, as I said last night, it's not just a place where we all sit around in rocking chairs and we'll all just, you know, just do nothing basically, play guitars and twiddle our thumbs and for those who can't play guitar, they hum. No, that's not what heaven's all about. It is a continuance of this life. It will be where the great king will rule and reign forever. Praise God. Notice this in verse 6. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. Now we come to the end of the prophetic part of the book of Revelation as far as the city. Now we're going to enter into a dialogue with Jesus, the angel who is showing John these things, and John. Now they'll kind of go back and forth. John will speak, Jesus will speak, and the angel will speak. And he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Now, I realize that, you know, God knew the book of Revelation would be the most questioned book of the entirety of 66 books of the Bible. It is certainly one of the most bizarre books, we know that. And yet, he knew that it would be so questioned by so many, many people. And this is the only book that he ends this way. So we have the Lord Jesus, now as he steps to the forefront, and claiming the authenticity of the book himself. And he wants to let the readers in the time of John and thereafter to the very end time know how this book was given. It was given in a most peculiar way. And that was that the Lord Jesus had sent his angel to testify these things unto John. But still when it's all said and done, you still have one man's word that it happened in this way. Now, we was not on the Isle of Patmos. Anybody here on the Isle of Patmos that day? No, I don't think none of you looked old enough. All right, now, none of us was there, right? So none of you heard Jesus say these words, right? None of you saw the angel, right? How many of y'all believe the book of Revelation, though? Really? Based upon what? This one man's word. John. Now, John is ultimately the one that said Jesus came to him, Right? Peter wasn't there, John wasn't there, or, or the other John, rather, the apostles, and the, uh, Philip, Bartholomew, none of them, nope, nobody there, just John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos. So we take John's word for it that it was actually revealed to him by an angel. None of us saw the angel. Peter didn't say nothing about seeing the angel. None of the rest of the apostles mentioned seeing the angel. You know where I'm going. So we wind up taking one man's word that an angel come and talk to him. Well, praise the Lord. Well, bless God, I want every word to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. That scripture don't apply here. 
unless you want to let Jesus be a witness and the angel be a witness. But yet still, it comes back to where we have to take John's word that these things happen. I believe it with all of my heart. I am basing my entire life upon what this man said. Anybody here with me? Praise the Lord. Then it's not so hard for me to come right back in this day when God has also sent a man with a message and when everybody wants scientific proof about this and scientific proof about that. I personally don't need scientific proof. I've got revelatory proof, which to me excels science any day out of the week. Because it bears witness right back to the word of God. So the divine authority of the book is valued by the believers that it come from God. We don't question it. Well, I'm not sure if John, you know, if John really saw this or not. Why would the man write all these things and go to all this trouble and give his life, uh, my years of going through all of this in order to deceive us? He didn't even know us. This man was called by God to do so and I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to walk up to him and hug him, can you? And be able to see this brother John. But notice now, the Lord Jesus, as God foreseeing that this would come and knowing that there must be a book. I appreciate the book of Revelation, don't you? He said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets. Hmm. You know who that Lord God is? The Lord Jesus. Which makes him the Lord God of the Old Testament. God in the Old Testament said he was the beginning and the end. Jesus in the New Testament said he was. So either we got two beginnings and two ends or the same one who said in the Old said it in the New. That's right. So the Lord God of the holy prophets, which of course prophetic in the Old Testament, is the same Lord God of the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Now remember, they're going to reveal his office of sufferings of high priest and then also of great creator of this city where he's going. Now he wants the people of God. This is where their future hangs. So he wants them to know what I have showed John is true. You can put your hopes. You can put everything you are. This city is real. It is absolutely there. I sent my angel to tell John and then I have come down at the end of the book to validate this book and let you know it is valid. The validity of it is true. I come down at the very end of it and put my name at the end of this book. Behold, I come quickly. Watch this. The prophet tells us in Revelation series and we find out that when John started to worship the angel, The angel said, see thou do it not. Revelations 22, I believe it is. He said, for I am thy fellow servant and of the prophets. It might have been Elijah. It might have been one of the prophets. Now I have a real problem with people who say emphatically that it was Brother Branham. You're saying something he didn't say. And if you believe such a thing, you believe that Brother Branham pre-existed. You believe Brother Branham pre-existed. Now remember now, this was written in 96 AD. So if it was Brother Branham who was showing John, as it's being so pushed in this day that we live, especially from headquarters. 
Come on now, don't get quiet on me. So if it was Brother Branham, then Brother Branham pre-existed before he ever became a mortal. So he didn't have free moral agency when he come. Well, come on now, don't get quiet on me. Well, hallelujah. You say, well, what about Elijah? By this time, Elijah was already gone to heaven. It could have been one of the other prophets. Brother Branham never identified it as himself. Come on, Happy Valley. Don't get quiet on me. There is a great danger in adding to God's word. I believe we ought to let Brother Branham be everything that God made him. But it's not our responsibility to make him more than what God made him. Let's just let him be what God made him to be. Come on now. Oh my. Notice he said it might have been one of the prophets. John was an apostle, but this prophet was sent. John being an apostle, look at the nature of the rest of his epistles. Prove that it wasn't John that wrote it. Because it was no nature like John. Take 1 John, 2 John, and so forth and read it. Look at the nature of that. Then look at the nature of this. Now watch how Brother Branham is bringing the parallel. That it was the nature of the author that would be conveyed even though it was the word of God. It's the same way with preachers. You see, preachers get up and they preach and God places a gift in their humanity. And God anoints the gift. You pull on the gift. And when the anointing comes on the gift, take scriptures and quotes and so on. And they begin to preach through what? The nature of their humanity. Let somebody else take this exact same scripture and quotes and notes here this morning and they would bring it in a total different way than I do. Yet it would be the Holy Ghost, it would be the gift of God, but it expresses through the nature. Now watch how the prophet compares 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, also the epistle of John, to the book of Revelation. Because the nature of the written word is taking on, <laughs> taking on the nature of the man used to convey it. If God would have used Paul in this day instead of Brother Branham, he would have been a very scholarly individual. He would have been more of a theologian type. Come on, is that right? If God would have used Luther in this day, but God didn't want Luther. God didn't want Paul in this day. He wanted a Kentucky hillbilly. That's exactly what this smart Laodicean age needed. They didn't need a theologian, praise the Lord. They didn't need a graduate of high school and college with all kinds of degrees. They needed a man that said, hate and tote and fetch and pack. But they also needed a man that knew God well enough that he had met him as a little boy. And the Spirit of God was so real to him, no theologian could talk him out of his position. Look at the nature of that. Then look at the nature of this. John was a writer and was an apostle. But this is the spirit of a prophet. It's a different person altogether. Wasn't John's writing. Wasn't John's revelation. It was God's revelation of Jesus Christ to the churches. John was just a writer. The scribe. The book declares the same. But it wasn't addressed to John. It was addressed to the church. This is addressed to you, Happy Valley. This is addressed to you, bride of Christ, around the world. It was not addressed to John. This was not addressed to Brother Branham alone. It was not addressed to the pastors or just the preachers alone. It was addressed to you as the people of God. It is your personal love letter with your name hidden down underneath there. And if God breaks open the seals, oh my, and you're able to see that's me. That's who I am. 
yourself. Don't you understand why you're not satisfied going to some church where all you do is go up and shake the preacher's hand and you do your religion once a week? Can't you see why you're never satisfied by just sitting even around the message church? That the more of God you get, the more you want. And the more you get, the more you want. And your greatest dissatisfaction in life for many of you. It's not because you're not a millionaire. It's not because you don't live in the nicest house in Johnson City. It's because you feel like there's more of God and you feel like you should be. Is that right? Your greatest disappointment is spiritually because there's something inside of you. Do you understand how blessed you are to hunger after God in such a degree? Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. So watch, now we go to the person of Jesus in verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Behold, these are not the words of the angel now or the words of John, but the words of Jesus. He says this three times, of course. We know in the close here of chapter verse 7, 12, and 20, quickly. Behold, I come quickly, which means swiftly. When the culmination of these things start rolling together, it will be so quick. And he likens his coming to a thief, as we know. So he said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. What a strange thing. Now we move from gates of pearl, walls of jasper, streets of gold, and we move into this. <laughs> Why? Only those who do this enter there. Now watch. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Listen to this word, Brother Terry. Terio, reserve, observe, watch, preserve, to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard, metaphorically to keep one in the state in which he is. Now listen to the words of Jesus. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So here those that are truly the blessed ones are those who don't just hear, Amen, 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 Amen. I heard it. I heard it. Boy, I listen to them tapes every day. Amen. I heard what Brother Nunn said. I'm hearing. I'm hearing, Lord. Well, you're blessed by hearing. But you're more blessed by keeping. Oh, I've got all the taste, brother. I've got all the Bible. No, no, it's not just keeping it naturally. It's obeying it. And you guard it. Now remember, friends, here we wind up in the very last chapter of the Bible, the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, and we come to a very, very pivotal point that Cone turns and goes right back again to the first man in the Garden of Eden. Because we find, according to Genesis... This is the very thing. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep. 
So here in the beginning, we find the man given the commission to dress and keep. Now, it's not his responsibility to make the garden. It's not his responsibility to create the garden. It's not his responsibility to make the animals, any of that. He's to do two things, dress and keep. Now, God didn't tell him to keep what? God didn't say, now watch, watch. There's a being that fell before the earth was ever made. And he's around. He's here with his angels. You better watch him. Nope, God did not have to do that. God said, dress it and keep what I've given you. Well, praise the Lord. Now, you've heard me preach it before. One of the brothers here this morning, he and I was talking the other night at the wedding about these same things. He didn't know I was going to go this way today. But I want you to notice this, that God's commission then was, in the book of Genesis, keep it. God's commission to those who's going to be really, truly blessed in the book of Revelation is going to be what? The same thing. So we are going to keep. Now many of us of course can remember when we was coming to the Lord and we had battles of different things in our life and coming through sanctification of laying aside unclean habits and things that so held on to us and we think, oh my, if I can ever get over this. If I can get this habit out of me, I know I'll be such a better man or woman. And surely you were. And then you found out when you got rid of that, something else popped up. And you got rid of that and there was something else. And now you found out, of course, every day is a battle. And and for years you might have been fighting to get and reach and attain to that place in Christ Jesus where you were filled with the Holy Ghost and you're saying oh my I've arrived oh praise God no more struggles nope now you have to fight to keep what you've got just like the children of Israel for years and years and years they fought to get the land of possession then after they got the land of possession then Satan tried everything he could to take that land they had fought for away from them he used things inside the tribes he used things on the outside of the tribes he used worldliness he used so many things but inevitably it was about one thing take their land away from them today my brother sister as you sit here in the house of God there's one thing that lays before you you and I as the people of God your worth your value this or that as far as the world is concerned it'll have no impact whatsoever on you in the rapture whether you're worth a million dollars or ten dollars or a nickel it ain't got nothing to do with your your rapture but this this affects every one of us this affects whether or not we will go on the rapture by keeping what God has given to us I don't just want to fight for my joy initially I want to keep my joy you may fight for years for your healing over a certain thing and maybe God deliver you of cancer or TB or something and watch the devil come right back around and try to put that same thing on you again using what? Symptoms. Symptoms cause fear. Fear causes you to lose faith. Well I wish somebody preached with me this morning and what are you trying to do? You're trying to keep. You're trying to keep your healing. How many of you struggle with keeping your joy in this difficult age that we live in? How many of you struggle with the darkness of Laodicea? How many of you struggle with trying to keep your joy and going to the house of God and then when you get there you struggle to pay attention and you struggle to be able to get through why it's because it's where we are but blessed are they that keep the sayings of this book we don't just get in and say well I've got it praise God look out devil no you better look out And the Lord God took the man. Notice here we have the Lord God that put the man in the garden. We have the Lord God in the end restoring us back in the garden. 
put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God doesn't explain it. God doesn't go into any detail. He just tells him, and where does man fall? The very area that God said, watch it. No wonder the prophet screams out when he was preaching to Pentecost about Samson. And he said, oh, Pentecost, wake up. Destroy your enemy before your enemy destroys you. Notice in Luke eleven twenty one, I find this so amazing. And look at this. Jesus is speaking about the Satan, about the devil, Beelzebub. A few verses prior to this. And then he gives us this allegory and this story. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace. Keepeth, which is observe, beware. Notice now, keep oneself to guard, guard a person or thing that he may remain safe. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace. Now your Jesus is actually relating to Satan. But I believe it's a spiritual principle for us as well. When a strong man armed, so he's calling the devil a strong man. And the devil is armed. He said he keepeth his palace. His goods are in peace. I used to be a box of that. You was a box of his goods, and you was a box of his goods, and you was, and you was. The devil was a strong man. Oh, but I love verse 22. But when a stronger than he. <laughs> Jesus said, if I cast out devils by the, by the power of Beelzebub, who do your children cast out? Then he goes into this. Now he's showing that Satan truly was a strong man. He was a strong being. And he had his palace. Isn't it amazing how Jesus likened Satan's kingdom to being a palace? And we were all members of this palace kingdom. And we were inside of this. And he said he truly, he had all of this in peace. And there was no problem really until I came along. But with a stronger that he shall come upon him and overcome him. Look at the word overcome. Oh my, this one's all through the book of Revelation, of course. Conquer, prevail, to carry off the victory, Nikao. Come off victorious to win the case and maintain one's cause. Praise be to God. And overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Praise God. But notice now, even though this is referring to the devil, but there is a principle that you and I can learn to as well. And that is that in our walk with God, our palace, our goods, our armor, all that we have, if we're not careful, that one which is stronger than our flesh is always waiting, always watching, always lurking in the shadows, waiting for your weak day, waiting for another day and another day till it leads to a week and then a month. And he keeps on 
they're aggravating you and aggravating you. What's he trying to do? To get you to slip. To take your goods. Seize your palace. In order to divide your spoils. Then part of your joy goes here. Part of your joy. Come on saints. Y'all know what I'm talking about this morning. Look at it. How the devil is in this day and time that we're living. He's tried to divide our joy. He's tried to divide our peace. We ought to be the happiest people in the world. Yet we act like, my goodness, we act like we ain't got enough joy to even clap our hands sometimes. Notice again in St. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. I was so amazed when I looked at the meaning of this word hath. To have, hold in the hand, in the sense of wearing. To have or own, possess, to lay hold of a thing, to adhere or cling to. To be closely joined to a person or a thing. He that hath my commandments. Oh yeah, I've got my Bible in over there. Yeah, I've got tapes in the tape. Yeah, no, you don't have it yet. He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is. Now people can say all day long they love God. If they don't keep his word, I'll go ahead and say what John said. They're liars. Give me a few more minutes. We may get a little bit tough in here. We've got off streets of gold now. We've stopped shouting in gates of pearl. Now we're down where we all live. He that has my commandments and keepeth them. He don't just talk about them. He don't just rehearse them and quote them. But he keeps them. They are his clothing. They are his possession. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him. And listen what Jesus will do. And will manifest myself to him. Emphazio. Inform, appear, declare plainly, and make known. Oh, I believe what the Bible says. I I believe God's word is true. I love him with all my heart. But I've just not been baptized in Jesus' name. And I don't think it matters if you wear makeup or cut your hair, dress like that. I just don't think that matters. I don't think it matters at all. It matters to God. Notice in verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. 1 John 2, 3. Hereby we do know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments. Friends, if some of you will get this right here, if you don't get nothing else out of the rest of the service. Right here is the way you know you love God. Feeling, that's good. That ain't the way you know it. Shouting's good, talking in tongues, all that. We believe in every bit of that. Hereby we do know that we know him. But the meaning of this word is what cinches this whole thing together. Perceive, understand, to become acquainted with, to know. To the Greeks, this meant to know facts. 
which lets me know we've got a lot of Greeks in the message. Honestly, now look at the meaning of this word. To the Greeks, to know facts. So to quote the prophet, to quote dates, to quote the Bible. You know, they think, that's it. I know, I know, I know. It's why it's so hard to lead backsliders back to the Lord when they've said under the ministry of the word. You tell them, I know. You need to do, I know. You need to say, I know. Well, if you know so much, why don't you do it? Know it all? I'd rather be a do-it-all than a know-it-all. There ain't going to be no know-it-alls there, but there sure will be a lot of do-it-alls. Praise God. That was a good one, wasn't it? Thank you, Lord. To the Greeks, this meant to know facts. But these facts may or may not affect one's conduct. To the Jew, true knowledge always manifested itself. In one's conduct. One did not know something until that fact had a practical outworking in his life. Now this is in the Strong's Concordance. All you got to do is click on the word know and you can pull up the exact same thing. So are we a Jew or are we a Greek? Look, friends, it lets you know that we've got this same Christ in the message of the hour. They think because they know God sent a prophet, because they know this and know that, that's good enough. That ain't good enough. We say, no, you don't know it just by knowing it. You have to know it to make a reality. It's got to be an outworking in your life. Oh, you don't know it yet. Let me close with verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a modern Laodicean. Now listen to what John said. He is a liar. Now remember, this is the man that was so touched by the love of God. They called him the apostle of love. By this time now, of course, John is back from the Isle of Patmos. He got so old that he couldn't hardly preach no more, Brother Terry. They say the historians say that he'd get up and, and he got to where he could barely be able to get to church. So they'd get him to church and they'd get him up kind of a brother on this side and one on that side. And John would kind of hold up and stand up like this. And he's so old and feeble. And he'd get up, try to preach, and he'd just say, little children, love one another. Love one another. And he'd wear out and he'd sit back down. And then he got to where he couldn't even do that no more. So they'd pack him to church in a cot. That's a man wanting to go to church, ain't it? Oh my, and they'd gather around him. Praise God. He's still saying the same thing as long as he'd get his little feeble hands up. Little children, love one another. Love one another. And yet that man with so much love would call people a liar? True love is corrective. You hear people say it all the time. The truth ain't never hurt nobody. They're crazy. The truth hurts everybody. Come on, you know it as well as I do. The truth hurts you. Yes, it cuts you. It'll scorch you alive. The truth hurts, but we love it. Amen. Give us the truth. We don't want no compromiser. We want the truth. (sighs) 
1 John 2, 5. Whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. A person that professes to have the love of God. It's not just that profession alone. You see that love will be perfected, which is teleo, which means come to complete maturity and fruition. It's when we keep his commandments. He said, Brother, don't it just seem like we're just kind of going along? And you know, we're not having no great revival. And a lot of people ain't been saved. No, you don't do that when you're putting the final finishing touches on a statue. You may start out using a big old sledgehammer with a big four-inch chisel. And you go to knocking out big old chunks of that thing. You sure don't want to use that when you're finishing up on the nose. So your tools change as you come down. People don't understand end-time evangelism. Listen to it, 1962. You'll understand end-time message evangelism. It's not us going out renting a Colosseum and reaching out and reaching out. That's contrary to the message of the hour. It's honing. Honing down. When I build a piece of something, piece of furniture, something or another, I may use 80 grit. Depends on what I'm building, what I'm doing. If I'm going to re-veneer something as I did the other day, and part of the veneer, a 1950s piece, had pulled loose, water got under it, the glue had dried out, typical for that era, 50s and 60s. And I had to veneer it. Well, you can't veneer over the top of something that's got a piece missing over here and over there and over there an eighth of an inch thick. you got an eighth of an inch hole. You veneer over the top of that and you put it in a vacuum bag and you turn on a little vacuum pump that I've got. When you do, it pulls that veneer right down on top of that piece of wood. Whatever's under it, it takes on that image. So you have to fill out that hole and you got to make sure the rest of it is dried and that it's glued really good. I use some pretty rough tools when I'm doing that. But when I get ready to finish it, ah, then I go to putting whatever desired stain that I want, and then I'll use a clear lacquer. May put another coat, because what happens is whenever I go to wiping it off, that lacquer will make these little tiny splinters that you can't even see, but you can feel them. When you go to, ah! Y'all ain't never had that happen. Take my word for it. It hurts, don't it, Brother Dave? But it's amazing. You can take a piece of 220 wet or dry sandpaper, take a little bit of water, and pour on top of that, and start sanding with the grain. And that little thing that stuck up and hurt so bad, totally disappears. So you wet sand the whole thing off, dry it off, make sure all the moisture content is totally gone, and then you spray it again. And again. Then the next time I'll use 600. Do it again. The next time I'll use 1,500 or maybe even 2,000 or 2,500. Was Brother Fred Perry told me one time you can take a piece of cardboard and lay it down and do the same thing in some of the last stages. But I've been in restaurants where you go in and sit down and... Uh, I wish I wasn't that way, but I am. I'm sorry. If I ever come to your house, you can look for it. I'm going to touch something in your house. And you'll see this look come on my face. 
And they put polyurethane or whatever and, you know, hit licking a promise. And my goodness, it feels like you've got dust and sand. That's the way a lot of churches are. That's the way a lot of preachers are. Oh, it don't matter. It does matter. We want a finish that is so highly polished that he can see his own image. Takes a lot of work. Meticulous. Boy, when the bride gets done, you imagine you'll walk out of this hell. In a moment of time, you were standing there brushing your teeth as a mortal. Your back was hurting, had a headache. You knew you had a terrible day on the job coming up. And all of a sudden, your daddy appears in the mirror, which has been gone for 50 years. And he's 18 years old. You drop your toothbrush and toothpaste and say, let's get out of here. <laughs> there's mama, there's uncle so-and-so, there's ain't so-and-so. I'm telling you one thing, my brother, sister, you're going to appreciate the fine work that God is working on your life. You're going to appreciate that you didn't go just to a block and chisel church where they blocked you out and told you about the blood of Jesus and let you sit there for the last 40 years and never honed on your life. In time evangelism, the prophet said, what is it? It's taking huge piles of stone. He said, confessions are stones. But he said, we want to turn them stones into a building. Some of us may be as big spiritual as this church is this morning. We say, boy, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm so important. <laughs> Look how big I am. But if you can only see the spot God's got for you in the building, it's about a half inch by half inch. So between me and you and God, we've got a lot of work to do. Right? So God chops and hacks and chops and saws and cuts until finally God gets you and then he starts honing. And when you get down to there, it's one of the most discouraging times of building. Oh my, don't be discouraged in your home to walk with God. Some of you, it's been months, been months since a great fiery revelation has struck your soul. It's been months since you've really felt the anointing. Whether the, the anointing moved down here last night and some of you stood there and you was as dry as a powder keg. And you're thinking, what in the world is wrong with me? Don't God love me? Don't God know my address? Sure he does. But maybe he's going through that dry stage where he's rubbing you and rubbing you. But it means you're so close. Maybe a couple of more strokes and you will fit right in the body. How many wants to be faithful? Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, what a way to end the book of Revelation. As we know that this chapter is heading toward its finale. Yet after leaving the description of the water of life, the tree of life, the people having in the forehead the very name of God, then why would you bring us back to the simplicity of obedience? You know what you're doing, Lord. You know how to make a church. You know that as long as we're in these mortal bodies, it requires a balance. Oh, yes, we must your grace. Yes, we must your election, predestination. 
But it must be balanced up with the part that we have to do. For we know there's much of our walk that you will never do yourself. It's things we have to do. And if we let up on Him, we will feel cold, indifferent. We won't feel in love with you like we did before. It's like a man and wife and they grow farther apart and they get busy and she goes her way and he goes his way. And before long they start saying sharp things to one another and before long they don't feel the same in their heart. They're still married. They're just as legally bound as they were before. But somehow or another don't feel the same in their hearts. Lord, if there's some here today that way, in their walk, in their business, whatever it is, they just got so busy. Lord, maybe they haven't kept their part, haven't prayed like they should, haven't read the word. and Maybe they've missed church when they really, they could have been there and they just opted not to. Help them to understand that's part of their keeping. That's part of them keeping their goods in their palace. Lord Jesus, help us today, Father. We love you with all of our hearts. Lord, I must be honest before you today and say, a place like this is more than my human mind can comprehend. To think of a place where no one will ever be sick, no one will ever die, no one will ever complain. I just take your word for it. All I've known is sick people. Oh, we, we get healthy for a while, but then we're fighting something else. We hear compliments, but it won't be long. The same one is complimenting you will be complaining about something else. It's just part of the way life goes. But to live in this place where none of that will ever be there. I long for it, Lord Jesus. May there not be a one of us, dear God, that will be missing, I pray. Help us to keep our little spot. Help me and Carol, Lord, to keep our spot that you've given us. Help these brothers and sisters. Help us as Happy Valley Church to keep our charge. May we not be as Adam to let our charge go and let Satan come right under the garden wall and take from us our very home. How the devil must have laughed and jeered as God threw them out of the garden of Eden. And Satan being the squatter, now he's had this claim for 6,000 years to this earth. Lord Jesus may not have my home. May he not have my garden. May he not have my walk. But I must keep it. I must do what my father Adam did not do. I must keep my charge and keep it faithfully. Help me, Lord, I pray. How many here today raise your hand and say, Lord, help me. You men, you want to keep your home? Charge of your home, being the head of your home, you mothers? You believers, what about it, Happy Valley Church? We want to keep our church, keep the charge that God's given us where the presence of God can be welcome among us. It ain't God that'll do that for us. It's us. We must welcome Him. We must obey Him. We must do what He says. We must keep His Word. Dress the seed, dress the plants, and keep the charge. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, children, if you could only understand today. After your new birth and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the greatest victory you'll ever achieve is the victory of understanding the power of giving yourself away. 
Some men marry a wife and they never, never actually reach that spot where they give themselves away. They've always got this secret element about themselves and this secret part of their life and this. And the same with their children. And, and they're the same when people come to the Lord. They keep back this certain thing, like Ananias and Sapphira, and they keep this certain thing back. And they're so afraid. You understand what you'll become if you keep that? All you'll have is you. You refuse to let go and reach out to others. Say, oh, I, I, I've been hurt. I've been hurt. I, I ain't going to do it again. So you understand your selfishness. You'll keep that to yourself. So you will be your closest comrade. You will be your closest friend. I don't know about you. I can't depend on Donnie. I need people. I need people. I need people praying for me. I need you praying for me. Give yourself away. Give yourself. Don't hold this and that and that. But what if it don't work out? What if it don't work out? I'll prophesy to you and tell you today. It will never work out for you being a consecrated Christian. As long as you're holding part of yourself back. There's no way for it to. But if you can learn to give it away. Your pride, your arrogance, your selfishness, whatever it is, give it away. You'll learn. You'll get so much more back than you ever gave away. Can we just sing a little bit before we go? You love him with all your heart. Ain't it been good to be in the house of the Lord? Give myself a one. Here I Lord, my life is in your your hands. Lord, I'm longing to see your desires revealed in me. Amen. Give myself away.
singing as you're dismissed this morning. Oh, take my Bye.